There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Ann, and welcome to All About Skills. This is a weekly series of programs about the skills that your children and grandchildren will need, skills that you need to get ahead in your career, and those that we all need to function effectively for our constitutional republic to survive. My name is Charlie Jett, and I'm coming to you from our studio high above the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in beautiful downtown Chicago. Now, in the last program, we talked about the information skill, and this week, we're going to talk to a related skill the analysis skill. So let's get started. The analysis skill, a complement to the information skill, is the skill one uses to process the information he or she has collected into something that he or she can actually use with confidence. The analysis skill may also be termed critical thinking, and I use the terms interchangeably. The analysis process itself is rather simple in concept. After collecting and testing the information for validity and truth, the analyst then performs the task of determining what that information, those verified facts, actually mean. This is the process of developing findings. Once the findings are developed, the analyst can then develop conclusions based on those validated findings, which in turn are based on validated facts. From the conclusions, the analyst then can build with some confidence a set of recommendations or action steps necessary to address the needs of a problem. In essence, data leads to information, which then leads to validated facts, which lead to findings, then conclusions, and then recommendations. The analysis skill is used daily by nearly everyone in making decisions ranging from the very simple to the enormously complex. For example, one needs to engage the analytical mind to determine which way to walk to the grocery store, to determine what sort of automobile to purchase, to decide whom to marry, to decide whether or not to vote on a bill in Congress, to decide whether or not to vote to approve a war. Now we come to P implies Q. This notation dates back to antiquity. Simply put, it says P implies Q. P is asserted to be true, so therefore Q must be true. It is one of the simplest expressions of symbolic logic. It's easy to remember, and it can be helpful to clarify your thinking. If P is true, your hypothesis is true, then you can infer that Q, your conclusion, will be true. If P is not true, your data might be faulty or you are just assuming it to be true on faith, then Q can be either true or untrue. With a faulty hypothesis, you can draw any conclusion you want. There are many books written about logic, 
and the entire subject can be quite complicated. As a basic guide to clear thinking, however, this basic equation helps you sort out good thinking from bad thinking. It is not valid, however, to assume that converse to be true. That is, if P implies Q, it does not follow that Q will imply P. It might, but don't count on it. I can remember being introduced to symbolic logic in the first year mathematics course at Carleton College. We spent an entire semester fiddling with far more complicated derivations from this little syllogism. And when I was rather adept at understanding all the permutations and combinations at the time, the only thing that stuck with me over the years was P implies Q. And that was enough. Over the past few years or so, recognition of the need to equip our students with the analysis skill, critical thinking and P implies Q, has been the spark that initiated the development and implementation of what are known as the Common Core Standards in the K-12 curriculum. The analysis skill and the information skill are closely related, with the information skill gaining new importance simply because of the ease with which large volumes of information may be accessed by clicking the mouse in Google. The information skill is necessary prerequisite for use of the analytical skill because the analysis skill is totally dependent upon accurate information, information that is true, at the beginning of the analytical process. Once the information relating to an issue under study is gathered and verified, and I underscore verified, the process of developing findings takes place. A finding consists of a statement relevant to the issues being addressed and is derived entirely from the facts the verified facts learned during the data collection process. Findings are used as the foundation from which conclusions regarding the issues may be drawn. Findings are the result of an investigation. Conclusions are statement of closure about issues under examination. They are developed entirely from findings and are supported at all levels by verified facts. They are the cues in the logical expression P implies Q. And in order to be true, the P's, or the hypotheses, or your facts, have to be true. Therefore, the entire process of developing conclusions is based on findings that have been developed carefully from the verified facts. Be careful, though, not to confuse a finding with a fact or a finding with a conclusion. Findings tell you what the facts mean. Conclusions are statement of closure and are inferences drawn from the findings, which are dependent upon the truth and accuracy of the facts. Recommendations are the action steps an individual should take to resolve issues. The recommendations are based only on the findings and conclusions developed from the data collection process. By definition, recommendations should be worthy of endorsement and implementation. An organization called the Foundation for Critical Thinking defines a well-cultivated critical thinker as being able to raise vital questions and problems, formulating them clearly and precisely, gathering and assessing relevant information using abstract ideas to interpret that data effectively, come to a well-reasoned conclusion and solution testing against relevant criteria and standards, think open-mindedly within alternative systems of thought 
recognizing and assessing, as need be, assumptions, impl implications, and practical consequences. And finally, communicating effectively with others in figuring out solutions to complex problems. The Foundation concludes by writing, and I quote, Critical thinking is, in short, self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective thinking. It requires rigorous standards of excellence and mindful command of their use. It entails effective communication and problem-solving abilities and a commitment to overcoming our native egocentrism and sociocentrism. Now, the analysis skill and critical thinking are hard to teach. Typical teaching to the test does not even come close to stimulating an analytical mind, and teachers who do the traditional lecturing of facts while having students take notes rarely ignite the thought process unless they engage in open discussion with the class. Such engage engagement requires a very confident teacher who has strong listening skills and who can guide a discussion effectively. The most powerful method of teaching the analytical or critical thinking skill is the Socratic method, where students are engaged in discussion about questions asked of them, not regurgitating facts coming from a lecture. This is the method upon which the Harvard Business School is built. Students are engaged in three complex case studies each day where there may or may not be any right answers. The learning comes from knowing what is in the case and then engaging in de guided debate about what the case means, what, can, what one can conclude, and what action the individual about whom the case is written should do. Students there also typically have four to five years of business experience before attending the school, so part of their discussion and arguments are based upon what they have learned and are willing to share from those experiences. Another powerful method of teaching, not only the analysis skill, but the other critical skills, is the field study. A field study is a project conducted by a team of students who address a problem or issue in the real world under faculty supervision. Field studies are rigorous projects designed to enable students to practice the critical skills while working productively with an educational partner in the real world. Such a project should have real value for the educational partner and contribute meaningfully to each student who participates as a member of the field study team. Field studies offer a kind of educational experience that is quite different from the traditional classroom. Students must deal with data that is often incomplete, sometimes unclear, and quite often not definitive. There are no multiple choices from which to choose a right answer, and more often than not, the problem or issues to be addressed must be defined by the students themselves. Field studies are not designed to make experts of students in the subject matter of which the project is about. For example, students may or may not have an interest in medical science or healthcare in order to benefit from practicing the critical skills with a medical practice or for that matter with any other kind of business. It is the process that is being taught in practice. The process of defining a problem, gathering data, analyzing the data, developing findings, conclusions, and recommendations, and communicating the results clearly, both orally and in written form. Field studies are highly appropriate for the college-bound student. 
Field studies require the student to formulate a problem, break it down into its component parts, determine the issues to be addressed, develop a timeline or work plan to conduct the project, determine the data need to address the issues, develop interview guides, conduct face-to-face -face interviews, test the data for truth, analyze the data, develop findings, conclusions, and recommendations, and then prepare a written and oral report. The final step is to present the report. Field studies involve problems and issues that confront owners and operators of small businesses and not-for-profit organizations. They require teamwork by participating students, an understanding of how to define a problem in order that it may be solved, how to determine what information is necessary to analyze the problem, how to obtain that information, how to test it for truth, how to analyze the problem, and how to present the results in a clear, logical, and persuasive manner. Although the final field study product may appear clear and simple, field studies are not easy to conduct. They require a different kind of thinking than students are accustomed to using in both high school and college classes. They require an understanding of how to gather, analyze, use, apply, and present information, how to identify fact from fiction, develop findings, conclusions, and recommendations, they require clearly written and articulate oral reports. Field studies are process-driven. The content of a field study is usually less important than the process by which the field study is conducted. Experiencing the process itself is the ultimate goal of a field study project for students at all levels of secondary and higher education. Field studies come in all forms, sizes, and shapes limited primarily by the level of the student team's ability and the ability of the faculty to supervise. Experience with field studies at the high school level suggests that while students are capable of high performance, the scope of the field study should be rather narrow and kept at a level where the problem may be solved or the issue addressed completely. The level of sophistication of the field study must not be beyond the student's ability to succeed in the process of conducting the study itself. Field studies are not easy, but they are not student-limited. Students have proven time and time again that they have the capability to conduct such projects. Rather, field studies seem to be teacher-limited in two ways. First, many teachers do not have the requisite training to su supervise such projects. And second, many teachers are focused on standardized test scores. These limitations, however, do not excuse the school or the teachers from conducting rich learning experiences. I've written a book entitled Field Studies, Challenging Project-Based Learning for High School and College Students, The Socratic Method in Action. I also have a blog, fieldstudiesblog.com, where you can read information about field studies and there's a blueprint for many different kinds of field studies to conduct. And now let's turn to the Common Core Standards. My own view of the Common Core Standards is that they are an attempt to enable students to exercise their communication skills, sort through data and information, do some analysis, understand math and science, and in general practice the critical skills. This makes me a supporter of that effort. 
The most appropriate definition of the Common Core standards is provided through the frequently asked questions about the Common Core on their website, which is www.corestandards.org. So what is the Common Core? State education chiefs and governors in 48 states came together to develop the Common Core, a set of clear college and career-ready standards for kindergarten through the 12th grade in English, language arts, literacy, and mathematics. Today, 43 states voluntarily adopted and work to implement the standards, which are designed to endorse that students graduating from high school are prepared to take credit-bearing introductory courses in two- or four-year college programs or enter the workforce. So why are the Common Core standards important? High standards that are consistent across states provide teachers, parents, and students with a set of clear expectations to ensure that all students have the skills and knowledge necessary to succeed in college, their careers, and life upon graduation from high school, regardless of where they live. These standards are aligned to the expectations of colleges, workforce training programs, and employers. The standards promote equity by insurance, ensuring all students are well prepared to collaborate and compete with their peers in the United States and abroad. Unlike previous state standards, which varied widely from state to state, the Common Core enables collaboration among states on a range of tools and policies. These include the development of textbooks, digital media, and other teaching materials, development and implementation of common comprehensive assessment systems that replace existing state testing systems in order to measure student performance annually and provide teachers with specific feedback to help ensure students are on the path to success. And finally, the development of tools and other support to help students and schools ensure that all students are able to learn the new standards. Initially, the Common Core standards were adopted by 43 states, but recent and highly vocal opposition has caused many states to drop out and to pursue either their own standards or none at all. The arguments against the Common Core standards come from teachers who resist the reality of required retraining, parents and schools who resist the newly developed assessment processes, and from political opponents who resist anything originating from the federal government, even though the standards were developed by the states. In summary, when one does an internet search to determine the pros and cons of critical thinking or the analysis skill, the results are rather empty. There simply aren't many, if any, cons about the ability to think critically. Again, the analysis skill is the skill one uses to process information that he or she has collected into something that he or she can actually use with confidence. The analysis skill may be termed critical thinking, and I use the terms interchangeably. Put simply, the process of critical thinking includes gathering data, sorting out information, validating the information for facts, developing findings, drawing conclusions, and developing recommendations. Now, during the episode on information, you'll remember I stressed the importance of using accurate information as a foundation for analysis. Dr. Bobby Azarian, 
a cognitive neuroscientist and researcher in the Visual Attention and Cognition Lab at George Mason University, wrote an excellent article about the brain and how it operates when it comes to beliefs. This is important because people do their thinking based on whatever it is they believe. The conclusions they draw and the actions they take based on those conclusions fundamentally come from what it is that they actually believe. But, as you might suspect, what they believe may not be true. Their beliefs may come from what they learned as a child, what they read in a newspaper or magazine, what they heard from someone giving a speech or sermon in a church or political rally, or from practically anywhere. They tend to believe what they hear, and Dr. Azarian points out a very clear and somewhat disturbing reason for this. I talked a bit about this in the episode on information, and now I'm going to go into it a little bit deeper. But first, let me assure you that this is not my intent to offend anyone about political or religious beliefs. That's not the point of my sharing this with you. However, I will say that I think what Dr. Zarian says is true. You can judge for yourself, so I'll share it with you. And I'll share it with you verbatim as I quote what he wrote. And I quote, that people believe false information or just plain lies comes from a basic fact about the brain. It takes more mental effort to reject an idea as false than to accept it as true. In other words, it's easier to believe than to not. This fact is based on a landmark study published in the journal Plus One in 2009 which asked the simple question, how is the brain activated differently during a state of belief compared to a state of disbelief? To test this, participants were asked whether or not they believed in a series of statements while their brain activity was being imaged by an MRI scanner. Some sentences were quite simple and fact-based, such as, California is larger than Rhode Island while others were a bit more abstract and subjective, like God probably does or does not exist. The results showed the activation of distinct but often overlapping brain areas in the belief and disbelief conditions. While these imaging results are complicated to interpret, the electrical patterns also showed something that was fairly straightforward. Overall, there was greater brain activation that persisted for longer periods of time during states of disbelief. Greater brain activation requires more cognitive resources, of which there is a limited supply. What these findings show is that the mental process of believing is simply less work for the brain and is therefore often favored. The default state of the human brain is to accept what is told because doubt takes effort. Belief, on the other hand, comes very easily. This troubling finding makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint. If children questioned every single fact that they were being taught, learning would occur at a rate so slow that it would be a hindrance. But this fact can just as easily apply 
to what we hear in politics today, from the left and from the right. So how does it explain why some people are duped by questionable and even blatantly false information? For religious fundamentalists, being taught to suppress critical thinking begins at a very early age. It is the combination of the brain's vulnerability to believing unsupported facts and aggressive indoctrination that creates the perfect storm for gullibility. Due to the brain's neuroplasticity, or ability to be sculpted by lived experiences, fundamentalists literally become hardwired to believe far-fetched statements. This wiring begins when they are first taught to accept biblical stories not as metaphors for living life practically and purposefully, but as objective truth. Mystical explanations for natural events train young minds not to demand evidence for their beliefs. And as a result, the neural pathways that promote healthy skepticism and rational thought are not properly developed. This inevitably leads to greater susceptibility to lying and gaslighting by manipulative politicians and greater suggestibility in general. If we want to combat the brain's habit of taking the path of least resistance, which has destructive downstream consequences for critical thinking, as a society we must place more value on empirical evidence, and this must be reflected in how we educate our youth. Additionally, we must create an awareness of the fact that for the human mind, believing is more of a reflex than a careful and methodical action. Again, those were the words from an eminent neuroscientist, not mine, although I do believe what he said. I hope his words made you think a bit more about the process of analysis and critical thinking, and I hope you were not offended by what he said. Now, in episode number five next week, we'll talk about the technology skill. In the meantime, give some thought to these critical skills. Again, they are communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, and continuous education. So until next week, my name is Charlie Jett, and I thank you for joining me as we continue on our journey that is all about skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.